Good afternoon and welcome to another exciting episode of How Betty Davis Saved My Life, Life Lessons from Classic Hollywood. I am Moya and my extra special, wonderful, superstar co-host is... Georgia. That's right. Georgia, how are you? I'm doing great on this beautiful summer day. How about you, Moya? I am doing well as well, and I totally agree with you. It is beautiful outside, picture-perfect weather, and we have just another fantastic... This is actually a, a play, and it's been done, oh my gosh, a kajillion times. Um, we watched the uh, movie version of this play. It is Henrik Ibsen's A Dollhouse. Is that correct, Georgia? That's right. A Doll's House. Exactly. And Georgia, as always, she is the head of our trivia department. <laughs> and uh, just for laughs, it was either A Doll's House or The Hunt for Red October. So you see how Georgia... <laughs> You see how Georgia try to Georgia and I try to give you a variety. We try to give you choices. We try to mix it up. So we are going to do the hunt for Red October. Red October, but we really try to consider, um, you know, that we have different people and different uh, tastes in our audience, and we try to mix up our our choices for episodes. So we chose a, a doll's house, and um, like I said, we're going to do a hunt for Red October, but. We wanted to do something a little different, and I had seen uh, a movie, at least two movie renditions of a doll's house, and uh, and I, and, I, and it came to me like Georgia, let's let's do this. So take you know, so take a look at it. Tell me what you think, and if you don't like it, we can do a, we can do the hunt for Red October. So she, so she saw the doll's house and said, hey man, let's do it. Let's do the, uh, a doll's house from Ibsen. So Georgia, tell us a little trivia, if you will, if you have anything for us. I do. Not much trivia, but I do have a little bit uh, about the actual play itself. Um, this uh, particular play created quite a controversy in Ibsen's time. And so actually there was, uh, when he played it for German audiences, he was forced to create an alternate ending because there was a German actress who refused to perform the play as he had written it because she found it, it the ending so she just she just couldn't do it she said no i cannot do this ending and so he um later on he did do the rewrite but he considered the rewrite a barbaric outrage is what he <laughs> called it and and uh and then also um there's another thing another bit of trivia about this particular play because um many critics now consider the original endings there's the final stage direction of it um, there's a particular sound that it ends with, and I'm not going to tell you what the sound is, but they consider that one of the most iconic final moments in theater. Mm. Hmm. The last sound that you hear. That is And so with that, I hope that you don't wait as long as I have to see this because I think I had heard about this play time and time again and you know it's even been like a featured as a jeopardy question many times <laughs> but this is um a um this is just an amazing very thought-provoking 
play, and I really encourage you to see this. And I, I'm ashamed I have it's taken me so long to see it, but it was on my goal or list of things that I'd always wanted to see. And so, so glad I got to. It's a brilliant work, beautifully written. Yes, I first got exposed to Ibsen in college with one of my favorite plays of all time and one of my favorite characters, Hedda Gabler. And uh, I, it's, it's, it's probably a movie on that. Uh, I, I saw we so I saw um, the version, the the recent version I saw on YouTube. It's free, guys. Um, on whose channel was it? It was um, Medici. So M E D I. So capital M E D I. Space. Don't put a space, but just space it as two words. M-E-D-E-I, capital C-H-I, Medici, I guess the play on the Medici family, that, that, uh, 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 that, those characters. But anyway, they had it for free. So I saw, and just talking to Georgia, discovered we both saw the same uh, version with Anthony Hopkins and Claire Bloom. That was the 1973 version. But previously, I had, I had seen A Doll's House. Some guys, I'm talking about A Doll's House. I had seen the Julie Harris. I saw that version first which I believe was the 60s. And then I saw the Jane Fonda version, which was like the 70s. So it looks like, look, look, looks like the Jane Fonda, the Anthony Hopkins, Clara Bloom probably may have come, come out around the same time a little bit. And obviously the uh, Bloom and Hopkins is the uh, British version. So there's all sorts of versions. And as I was doing my research, uh, Georgia, uh, I saw people from all over the world doing reviews of Ibsen and especially the dollhouse. I saw some people from Africa doing a review and of course European uh, reviews of it, um, which was quite fascinating. So it just shows how much of an influence Henrik Ibsen uh, had and still does have on uh, not, uh, the literary world, uh, the, you know, the drama and tragedy world, stage plays, and just um, when we're going to get into to the society as a whole. And just a little, um, so George, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Is there any more trivia you have? No, that's the only trivia I've got. Not much this time around. And so I did um, go and look at Ibsen's life. And um, some of you may already know this, but um, he, he, and he may give you some hope. He did not have any success until he was like in his 60s. So from like 1830s on, uh, he was a failure. He had he was an alcoholic. I mean, he was a failure. Like most most of these guys and women who are ahead of themselves, and and Ibsen was definitely ahead of himself with his writings in that he saw the world differently. Or, or let me just say this: he chose to write about the world differently than the world or society at that time wanted to be written about. And uh, in, in his, some of the people that I, the, the documentary I saw, which it was from um, Manufacturing Intellect, that is who had the documentary, again, shout out to them uh, and the other YouTube channels, Manufacturing Intellect had a, about an hour long, um, really insightful, concise biography on him. But, uh, you know, this, the, these times where people, you still had the bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie and I can't say a bourgeoisie, the uh, the aristocracy, but it was also the beginning of the industrial industrial revolution. So 
roles were changing. You saw the rise of the middle class. You saw some women going to work, not a lot, some women going to work um, in the middle class, some of them in the factory. So roles were changing, you know, creeping along. And we know after World War One, that really put the kibosh on the aristocracy as we knew it. You saw women's role, women's uh, rights and roles took off out the barn in full gallop and, you know, never came back. And you see this reflected in Ibsen's writing. So Georgia, a doll's house was really one of Ibsen's first successes and really put him on the map. But it took him a while to have some success. He was married. He did have a son. Uh, the marriage fell apart when he left. He, he, he fell in love, Georgia. Now, he a 60-something old goat. Fell in love with an 18-year-old. <laughs> 18 year old girl, she was in love with him, you know. So it's the same old story, left his wife. And so later on, his later poems, uh, I'm sorry, his later work, his plays, post him leaving his wife, were very dark, filled with a lot of guilt. Um, so it, like anything else, that that changes a person. Especially when you're old enough to be this girl's grandfather. Ooh, ew, gross, like totally gross, it's disgusting. <laughs> but we're going to get into how the times uh, affected, like most writers, uh, uh, affects your work. So, Georgia, tell me what you thought about uh, A Doll's House. Okay. Well, I just wanted to tell our uh, listeners, in case they uh, would just like a little bit of background about it. Um, it's set in Victorian era, uh, late 1800s Norway. And uh, the play features a banker, his name is Torvald, and his wife, Nora, and they have three small children. They've been married about eight years. And then um, there's a chain of events that occurs in there. It seems like it's outwardly, you know, uh, good, good marriage. And uh, this uh, woman comes to visit. She's independent-minded. And... Um, I just want to say there, without giving anything away, there's a chain of events that shakes up a lot of things about their beliefs about each other and their marriage, and it forever it, it forever changes things. And so, with that, I'm going to just go ahead and let you know that is just the basic about the dollhouse, a dollhouse, because there, this is just rich with. So much in it. You really have to pay attention to what's going on. But uh, I, what I really love about this play is that it is really done from somebody. I, I can't believe in a way that a man wrote it. I think that's the first thing that really surprised me about right, this play. Right. Um, and there's and the revelations. And it just really, I think for a lot of women who are either married or in a very um, significant relationship, it does make you do some self-examination about yes. uh, your, your role and your feelings and how, and, you, and how you think your mate looks at you, how they see you, how, what they think of you, and about what, our, and what we as women do, what we as women do for the people we love. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm going to spoil it, uh, Georgia, I, because I, I think if we're going to take a deep dive into 
with Ibsen, this brilliant play that he wrote. I, I, I think we would do it an injustice if we did not fully analyze it and, and do a, I hate to say autopsy because it's still a, a living playwright, but do a full analysis, if you will. So I'm going to put some spoilers. So if, if those of you who do not wish to be uh, spoiled or don't want it to be spoiled for you, you know, don't cut us off. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I, it's just, I don't know, mute us? I have no idea. But anyway, I'm about to put some spoilers in there. So like Georgia says, Nora and Torval are a fairly young couple. They have kids. They've been married for, for eight years. And... Nora borrows some money from this guy who was, who was in banking. And I'm not clear, Georgia, if he was at the bank that Torval was at at that time or he was at another bank. I, I'm not sure. Do you know, do you know the answer to that? I'm not 100% sure, even though I went over all the events right. thoroughly, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, she borrowed some money from this guy because Torval was sick. And she um, forged her father's signature uh, as a guarantor for the loan. And the guy discovers it and begins to blackmail her and to secure his position in, in this bank that Torval is now. He's just gotten his position of manager. Now, what, what's not clear to me, and this is Mr. I'm going to call him Mr. K because I keep screwing up his name. I'm, I'm gonna say it wrong. Crossguard, Corsguard. I'm sorry. Crockstead. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Yeah. K. Um, and so that's who's doing the blackmailing because he wants Nora to secure, help him secure his position in the bank, and not only secure it, help him rise up in the bank because of a past transgression that he did. Uh, that he got out of, I think he may have been accused of fraud or something like that, or embezzlement. They don't really say, but you have to assume it was something like that because it had something to do with banking, I, I, I assume. But it was something that he went to trial for, was not found guilty. And um, and, and, and I don't know what it was. Um, did he say what he did, George? I can't remember. I think it was forgery. The okay. same thing you did, Nora. Okay, I, yeah, what I wasn't clear. Yeah, I wasn't I think it's the same thing. Yeah, I, and that would make sense because the hypocrisy, you know, they, the juxtaposition yeah. of hypocrisy that Ibsen so brill, brilliantly laid out. Um, yeah. And Nora has influence over her husband, Torval, because uh, a scene before the um, Mr. K comes in with the blackmail, a friend, a long lost friend, Miss Lynn comes in and uh, she's widowed. She did not have a happy marriage. She has no children. She only married a man because she needed some help with her family as, as women did in those times. That was, hey, it was what it was because Georgia, during those times, for a woman to advance herself or to get out of a bad or unwanted situation at home or in personal life, she had to get married, right? Oh, yeah. She didn't have any other way to survive. Yes. And the man, she mentions that there was a man that she would have loved, that she would have preferred to marry, mm -hmm. but because the, she needed to support her mother and her two younger brothers. Right. And this man had wealth and means. Yes. It just, that was her only, she thought that was her only choice. Right. And we're not going to spoil you. Now, there's some spoilers that, so, you know, we're not going to spoil you with that because there's a little catch to that. But 
Marriage was a means of survival and, and you know, upgrading yourself to uh, in society. And for those of you who are not subscribed to our YouTube channel, check out something I recently uploaded uh, about from uh, another edition of, um, of How Betty Davis Saved My Life. Another little show we have is called Late to the Party. And I just recently uploaded uh, my take or my review on um, the Palisers. And this is another, so th these are all, that was Victorian times, like kind of early on Victorian times or kind of later Victorian times going into Edwardian times uh, with, with um, a doll's house. But the palace is about money and privilege and society and keeping up appearances. So the aristocracy moving up in life. And a woman, even if you had money, like Nora, she came from, came from money, but it wasn't her money. She did not have um, readily access to that money for whatever reason. So, you know, you could have money, but even if you married, your money and property became your husband's. So you still were, un you still were under his authority. Okay. Um, so with all that being said, <clears throat> Georgia, something you said with it, this play that it, and you were shocked and I was shocked as well. Um, especially, um, uh, with, those of you who know Hedda Gabler, go look at it. Georgia, we should definitely do Hedda Gabler. We're going to put that on the list from Ibsen. Um, Ibsen can write from both perspectives, the male and female, and be spot on, so brutally honest. And something you said earlier, it makes women examine themselves. Georgia, what, did, what do you mean? Um, and and I, I left something out. Miss Lynn, Nora... Nora's influence with Torval helps Miss Lynn get a job. So that little piece or that little part of the plot lets you know that she can have influence over her husband. Okay. Now let's go back to Georgia, what you said. What did you mean about a doll's house makes women examine their themselves? What did you mean by that? What I meant by that was it makes you think about uh, how your husband really sees you and your and his life. And uh, say it again. We kind of lost you. Say it again. How your husband sees you and what else? They really see you. What is your face in his life? And almost she comes to this stunning realization um, that her husband does not would not go to the ones that she would to mm -hmm. to help him because she felt like she sacrificed her own reputation, her own, you know, just, you know, she was even willing at one point, she, well, I'm going to say she was willing to go to, I'm going to leave that part of a, a surprise in, in the mood, but she was willing to sacrifice her reputation. She had cried everything. At the, at the end, she expects, you know, well, she, he says, well, I'm not going to, sacrifice my reputation for you i'm not going to do that i do i'm not going to do that and she says but i was willing to do that for you and she goes and it goes men don't do that she says women do that all the time now see all I, the time i read that differently i thought he said let me look at in my notes i thought he said you know i would have said i did it didn't he say that? He said, you know, I would have said that I did it. 
And she said, well, then you know that I would have not let you do that. And I would have said, I did it. And it would have been your word against mine. And then earlier on, when she was talking to Dr. Rank, now true enough, it's just how she felt um, when she was talking to Dr. Rank and um, trying to, well, I ain't going to spoil that. She was doing something shady with Dr. Rank. <laughs> but um, she said, well, you know, I know Torval will give his very life for me. So I don't know. I read that differently. That's, that's, that's funny how you and I read that differently. Well, yeah, I guess maybe I did read a little bit. No, you could be right. I, I looked at it several times and I, that's what I got out of it. But maybe you may be right and I could be wrong. I don't. So those of you listening, don't forget, we have a Facebook page, How Betty Davis Saved My Life. Let us know what you think in the comments. Uh, hit us up. Let us know because we'd love to know your 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 thoughts on it. And I'm happy you and I have like a slightly different uh, take on it. I think that's good. And yeah. like you said, Moya, I'd like for our listeners to let us know what they think of the interpretation of this. Um, see, I think that to me, she's saying women sacrifice, you know, their personal desires, their ambitions, even their own dignity, you know, for the sake of a relationship. And so at the end, that's why she's shaking everything up. I mean, to me, her transformation is nothing short of jaw-dropping and stunning. When you see, you know, I thought, you know, I because you know the way she was at the beginning, boy, I could barely take, you know, <laughs> I could barely take it. You know, you call her a little squirrel, a little, you know, but then I kept thinking to myself, now be watching, why do they call this movie? all's house mm -hmm. and then I'm, it's easy to become abundantly clear to me why it was named that um why why they he gave it this name it's a very astute name mm -hmm. um you know because i thought how many women actually live in what what could be described doll's house okay but it's yeah i mean it did they help make it themselves or did, did the men in their relationship make that? Um, Very good question. So anyway, um, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I wanted, I want our listeners when they see the movie to be thinking about that. They're watching this. Right. Then, no, that's a very good question, Georgia. Did who created the dollhouse? And I think they both were complicit in that and guys keep in mind like georgia and i were talking the, the the times so let's just put it out there i don't think torval was a bad guy i think torval was a man of his times he was ambitious ignorant okay ignorant um for whatever reasons but he was a man of his times but i don't think he was a bad guy and that he meant anything malicious towards his wife I and I and I'm a firm believer in you teach people how to treat you because yeah. Nora came into it. They, they, whether they knew it or not, Georgia, they struck a bargain of parent child relationship. And you're going to see in the movie that's what Nora was used to. She said it in the ending that she transferred from one parent child relationship with her and her father 
where, you know, he, and he should have treated her like a child because he was his child. Okay. Then she went to her, her husband's house or their house and he continued to treat her like a child. Now, whose fault was that? You know, and so at the end, you know, she, I had children with you. So they had sex. Y'all were doing adult things, ma'am. But you, for whatever reason, I think personally, my opinion, found it easier to trans, trans, uh, just go on and transfer that same relationship. And I don't, I hope I'm not projecting, but I will say in my own personal life, I was Nora at a certain part in, in my marriage, but thank God I grew up, did the work and realized that when you take a vow, you know, when, when you go in front of the minister, because I got married in church, traditional values, I know, boo, traditional values, old fashioned, whatever. That's what I chose. It works for us. Um, that you're not just making a vow before man, you're making a vow before God. And it's an unbreakable vow up until death, pretty much. Okay. And I'm not going to get into the theology and all that. This show ain't about all that. But if you're serious, you take it seriously like that. All right. And, and I'm going to tell, I'm going to call BS on, uh, her being so immature and child because in my opinion, Georgia, she was a master manipulator. She used that childlike persona and that, that and simpering and whimpering to get what she wanted as an armor to keep Torval away from her, to, to stay disconnected from him. Because when she was doing what she was doing with Dr. Rank, when he came to visit her, when he told her he was dying, she wasn't acting like no little, no little child then, no naive little wood nymph or, <laughs> or whatever. You know, she was about to manipulate that man, that old goat. And I'm, I ain't mean, trying to be mean or say that he was, a, you know, because he old. But, you know, he was an older dude, old enough to be her dad. What do you think about what I'm saying, Georgia? What do you think? Oh, but to see, the thing I thought what she was going to do is when Zimperant came to see her, she was going to try and convince him to uh, get Torvald. Uh, she was going to use him uh, with Torvald. I, I really thought yes. she was going to do it. He tells her, he, he reveals to her that he's dying and this is goodbye. Then she backs off from it, you know, but I thought. No, that's not why she backed off. She backed off because she could, you, she could care less about that. He was dying. Okay. She didn't care. Um, in my opinion that, oh, 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 oh it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, big, she was going to manipulate him. Yeah. She backed off when, she backed off and she said it. When you told me you love me, and he never said those words, but the affection of it. And and it made her, now forget him now, dying man. And she and, and look, I, I look, we're women. I know how women think. I'd have been like, oh, good. I'm about to get whatever I want out of him, and he's going to be dead in a week. I ain't even got to do nothing to get it. It's great. You know, <laughs> that's because I'm just be honest, be honest. Um, and she, and she, when he started showing his affections for her, she backed off because she couldn't play that game of naivete. Oh, oh, I didn't know. So she backed, so she backed off because she didn't want to feel a certain kind of way about it. it, it to, in my opinion, had nothing to do with him. So Nora, and like I said, this is the brilliance of Ibsen. How this man could write such fleshed out three-dimensional characters 
and make them tell on themselves. I loved it. I am still just so amazed at how he's able to tell this from a woman's perspective. I, I was um, so impressed with this because I thought this is how women feel. I mean, and, and the husband, he really, he was taking care of her. And he thought, oh, yeah, I'm giving you a life of ease, you know, um, and all, and he, but he wasn't really doing her any favors at all, actually. He was you don't think so? her as a perpetual child. Um, but and she was not allowed to be. I don't even though she had influence over him. I don't think she, she was. She said she was never truly happy. You know, well, whose fault is that? That's not his. Well, she does take responsibility for it at the end. You're right. You're right, boy. Whose responsibility? Whose fault is that? That is right. that is not your spouse's or boyfriend or girlfriend's uh, responsibility to make you happy. Happiness is so subjective anyway. And it's just like trying to rustle a puff of smoke into a bag or like this old saying, herding cats. You know, you have better luck herding cats. You know, happiness is so subjective. And I, and again, I'm using myself. I was so immature when I got married. I was young in my, in my mid-20s. I was really young. My husband's slightly older than me. Um, I knew nothing about the world, how it really worked. Like, like I know now. I could go back and slap that little broad who married my husband. Thank God. I almost drove him out of his damn mind, his effing mind. I really did. Poor guy. Um, and, I, and it was a miracle from God up above that we stood together. I to Georgia to this day, I really don't know what happened. Something, you know, I can't really put my finger on it. But I will say this. I surrendered. I put my pride aside and not that, and, and don't put words into my, my, my mouth, feminazis. I didn't say I surrendered to him. I surrendered my pride. I put my pride aside and I, again, I can't say as anything. I, one thing that I did, Georgia, but I realized all I can say is I, so my husband and I had been friends way before we got married or even before we got in a relationship. And so only thing I can pinpoint and said, this guy was always my friend, always in my corner. Why now do I see him as an enemy? He, he has always taken care of me and been there for me. And now he's obligated to do it. And he stepped up beyond measure. Why do I resent that? I, if I took him to court and put him on trial for being an ass to me, I would lose deserve to lose and I need to pay his lawyer fees and to put it back with Nora she taught horrible how to treat her and I and I gain I go back to her it was comfortable for her because she didn't do that with Dr. Rank she was going to manipulate him and be sexual without giving too much she was what she what she did with them stockings Georgia wasn't that creepy you didn't find a bit creepy to you with them stockings <laughs> That was yeah, gross. She's already what we would call like a trophy wife. Okay. You know, for Torvald. But she, it's just like, why are you further messing things up here? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Girl, your plan was fire. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and not beating up on women, but we do it. We use our sexuality 
and our femininity and and thank god that we have and a lot of us these modern time we throwing it away we tamping down our sexuality as far as what makes us feminine and what makes men's attracted to us we're doing that in so many ways that would be a whole nother show um but when you take it and weaponize it and, and, and manipulation that's disgusting you know you're not doing yourself any favors or anyone else affections like that. I mean, the man was old enough to be her dad. I mean, he was so much older than Torvald. And on top of that, I mean, he just confessed to her, you know, you know I have deep, you know, I'm in love with you. I mean, if you're in, the man's dying, but I guess he figures like, hey, you know, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well confess my feelings. And here, I thought, uh, I, I, at that point, one of the times in the movie where I was just thinking, Oh my, I, I was creeped out by it. I, I <laughs> have to admit, when I saw her, the way she was doing her stockings. Yeah, that was him, deep. Went, what are you doing? <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to say. This woman was not totally innocent. She was a manipulator. And right. I, and I, and I, again, my opinion, she kept that childlike per persona and that subservient and, and like I said, a little squirrel and a, childlike parent relationship with Torvald because she wanted to because it was safe and she didn't have to think or work and she and she did it to keep him quote-unquote interested in her because she knew like the stupid foolishness with the candy and no I didn't need any candy no 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 and then he sees the chocolate on girl get out of here with that you know you she wanted that really <laughs> right. she wanted that damn I ate chocolates in front of him and sat on his lap and said do you want some <laughs> fed him fed him them macaroons you know so girl get out of here with that and as far as the end you know we're gonna skip it and uh we mentioned some other people miss lynn and um who was the total opposite of nora in my opinion georgia because i don't think she would have thrown the, the baby out with the bath water which was what nora was doing um when she uh she left Torval. And um, Miss Lynn would have, look, she lucky Miss Lynn uh, <clears throat> got married to somebody else because you let a friend pick up, she the clean up woman. Shout out to Betty Wright, R.I.P., uh, famous soul and R.B. singer had a song called The Clean Up Woman Will Take Your Man Away. She can give him loving 24 hours a day. <laughs> go, go listen to The Clean Up Woman, y'all. And Johnny Taylor, shout out to him, R.I.P. Famous blues singer Jody, talking about Jody. Jody come in when you gone. Jody leave ashtrays in your ashtray. So he's talking about these people who are in the background or lingering, who you don't think about, and they're there waiting for you to waiting for you to drop your drop your man or your woman. So she's lucky, Miss Lynn went off with somebody else because georgia don't you think miss lynn could have slid right on there with torval because she'd have been the perfect wife she wanted to be married she wanted the attention what do you think oh my god i never thought about that but now that you mention it oh my gosh yeah she'd have been perfect yeah. a perfect candidate you know it, it the story didn't go that way but i think ipsen juxtaposed those two because nora was yeah. very foolish and Miss Lynn was not yes. because she had already lived life and knew what it was to be not have that a man who really cared about her and to get married under compulsion. You know, Nora, as far as we know, did not do that. 
But let's fast forward to the end when uh, Nora leaves and Georgia, you, you quoted. So I take it that you uh, think that that was the right move for her to kind of go and go off and kind of find herself. I do. Okay. I do. And as much as it pained me, uh, the only thing that, that made me feel bad was to leave the three children. But I felt that the only way for her to be a better mother was for her to be a better person or a better woman, mm -hmm. because how else could she raise children in a way where she could be a good example for them? But, you know, I mean, my impression is that she, she, I mean, when that door closes, that's final. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I felt that I know it's going to be strange to some people to say this, but I was a hundred percent behind her when she decided to leave. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you think I it's strange? It the right thing for her. Cause she needed, she said she wanted to go home, but I felt like she needed to like, learn what the world was about to grow up and to find her place in it. And I thought she needed to realize figure out like what her own desires and ambitions were and to gain a sense of her own self-dignity and worth and self-esteem and not be reliant on her husband for her self-esteem and self-worth. And I, I felt that was the right thing for her to do. Mm, okay. Cause, um, I did No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. Um, I, now let me ask you this. Were you able to separate your modern mind and the modern times from for, from your from that line of thought with her leaving not very well <laughs> because what not very well it was hard it was difficult as i looked at that so it so you it's think hard. it was influencing your your encouraging of her to leave do you think that your your, your modern way played a part in you thinking, okay, this is a good idea. It certainly did. I mean, sure. Modern ways had a lot to do with it. Yes. Being yeah. a woman in this, <laughs> in this century. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it really did uh, influence me quite a bit, but I was just very stunned that a play like this could be written back in what 18, be presented in 1879. Yeah. And, and, and be this, forward thinking and get to the very um heart and soul of what women think about um and must have been thinking about back then mm -hmm. it amazed because yeah you know because you said in a previous uh podcast about how the industrial revolution had women you know king and seeing themselves in different roles is to just only be like a wife and mother it was more than that you know, they had to become independent. Many of the women had to. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I thought, yeah, maybe women were starting to view themselves a little bit differently and about what they were capable of doing. Right. Yeah, I I also found it difficult to turn off my 21st century mind because I kept saying, well, why don't you, why don't you go do this? I want you to go do that. But I had to turn it off and say, well, no, you can't do that because those options weren't there. Um but as far as her, so of course I disagree about her leaving her husband. Okay, and the reasons why I disagree because well, one of them we just said the leave him and go do what, ma'am. You're you're literate. You can count up to a hundred and over. But other than that, and you and you're on the wrong side of uh thirty. In those times, 
Okay. And, and, and so you, <laughs> you're already a wife and a mother. What was she going to go do? So again, let's juxtapose her to Miss Lynn, who had been an entrepreneur who was, who could easily, she was easily able to get a job at Torval's bank. Okay. Because she had some business behind her. What somebody make me know what, uh, Nora was going to do. Now, if there was a job for macaroon tester, she was your girl. But other than that, what the hell else? All, all stocking, stocking smoother outer. <laughs> other than that, what the hell else was she going to do? Okay. So for those times, we, we talked about it earlier. A woman had to either get married or have her own money or be in the, the emerging workforce that was for women. This woman only had one of those. And so this is your, you only have, you currently have in your hand a prime option to advance yourself, to have security and stability. And you're going to throw that away, ma'am. And I go back to Torval. What Torval said, Georgia, because we, we didn't talk about this. What Torval said when he found out about the blackmail and how Mr. K, um, you know, was going to put the screws to him at the bank and, you know, want to rise above his position. He said some horrible, vicious, nasty things to Nora that, you know, once you the once Pandora's box has been open, it's hard to put that back. I, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. Once those words have been said, right. they can't be unspoken again. They're already out and they'll right. forever linger in a person's mind. Yeah. Now, and, uh, now let me oh ask you this. God. Do you think Torval was sincerely contrite in his apology uh, and when they were sitting down talking as equals, do you think he was sincerely contrite or do you think he was just, he got busted being an ass and then not, and now he just, you know, trying to get out of it. What do you think? Oh, you know, we thought, gosh, this is so awkward for him because he said and done those things. And I think I felt he was trying to save face. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought he was trying to be bright, but then I thought, wait a minute, but now she knows what he really thinks of her. Mm -hmm. Now she knows and it was, it was a revelation. It was a shock to her. But now, what do you mean I, when it was sitting down talking? When do you mean? Oh, I'm sorry, Mary, go ahead. No, when do you, what do you mean? When did you, when did he really, then when did she really know what he thought about her when they were sitting around, sitting down talking or when he was ranting? I, uh, both. When he okay. Both. Okay. Actually. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, I think that the reason that she had to leave is because they would, he would go back to his, they would slide back into that. Mm -hmm. You know, she wouldn't really be able to make any progress staying there in the same roof with him. Mm -hmm. And I felt that's why she felt she needed to lose. Cause he says, you know, cause remember towards he's saying, Oh, why don't you just live separately? You know, you can stay here and I'll stay there. And, you know, but I, I thought it was really so, uh, huge of him to say, I don't even want you raising my children because you have, you know, like you would taint them. I mean, mm -hmm. you went to, to even forgery and criminal activity. And, um, and I don't think you should even like be allowed to raise my own children. Right. So, uh, I felt like she, she felt like she 
the choice. It's either A, you know, the suicide or leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I thought she she was even willing to go to that length to do that. Right. And um, so in my mind, I felt like, it, yes, in some ways he was contrite. He was, but it's out there now. Right. She knows. Right. I've been in situations in my marriage where we've both said things, you know, and who hasn't that you can't, You're right. Who hasn't? right. You totally wish you could take back. You totally wish you couldn't, you know, you didn't say, um, and had to, again, we both swallow our pride and move on. And I love the fact that Ibsen put in religion and, when Torval says, well, what about your duties? And she said, what duties? He said, you know, what does your religion teach you, you know, about your duties? And she said, I don't even know what that means. You know, I, <laughs> I took my sacraments when I was a little girl. And after that, who know? I have no idea. And I love that Ibsen put that in there because this was a reflection of the times. Um, you know, I, I believe Marxism, communism, socialism, uh, Forgetting old traditional values, uh, the church values was kind of, you know, looked as old fashioned, you know, uh, psychiatry, the science of psychiatry was just around a corner rising up with, with Freud and what have you. So all of the, all of those things were swimming, um, swimming around psychology and psychiatry. So, you know, and, and a lot of that, uh, rejects, you know, traditional Christianity and religion. And I, and I'm glad Ibsen left that in there because like I said before, because of my Christian faith and I b- firmly believe I took a vow before God um, first and foremost. And again, she had to, I think in, in my opinion, where she made a misstep, Georgia, she had him where she wanted him. But Again, Ibsen is so brutally honest. And like you said earlier, it makes really everybody look inside his or herself to see where are you. When you get right down to it, Georgia, this woman never wanted to be married and she never loved him. And I, and I go back to that facade of the parent-child relationship. She never wanted to because at the end, He's literally begging her, I will change. I will do whatever I, whatever you need. Yeah. I, this relationship could look however you want it. Nope, wasn't good enough. And, and I don't know if it was just Anthony Hopkins. You know, he's a master actor. I don't know if it was just him. I saw different versions of it. Um, you know, I don't know if he was playing it like that. I, I think he played it how Ibsen wrote it. Um, but it's nope. Wasn't good enough, and a, and a lot of women, George, and I have several friends. I can unfortunately tell it tell you these women destroy their marriages with men who they never. You look, look, ma'am, you found somebody and convinced them to marry you. Uh, 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 amazingly, to everybody, you know, and I knew it going, and I was like, this person does not love this person. I knew it. I kind of tried to you know, steer them away or try to appreciate that this guy wanted to marry them, but hey, they had their own agenda. And Georgia, it goes back to something I firmly believe. People get married with agendas. Those those mismatched, insincere marriages breed having babies with agendas. 
The baby is supposed to fix the marriage. The baby is supposed to make you happy. And when it doesn't, oh, well, now nah, I, I, I hate everybody. I'm, I'm out of here. And that, and that goes for men and women. But statistics show, Georgia, more women file for divorce than men. Women leave men more than men leave women. Women cheat more than men. These are statistics. If they don't cheat, uh, it's just about what and what, what, what and what. And these men who are the dogs and the dog and cheaters and they, you know, whoremongers, well, they're cheating with somebody. <laughs> you know, they ain't cheating. She takes two to tango. All right. So, and I know people who've cheated and cheat, you know, I, I again, I, you know, yeah, it's anecdotal, but can't argue with reality. So, in my final analysis, you can't fix something that was never there. And again, she was honest. She never said the words, I I never loved you or I hated you, but it was sitting right there. The the feeling yeah. and, and that poor I felt sorry for Torable. Cause uh, like a lot of men, for whatever reason, they can't see it. And that's why I don't, you know, women with all this the feminazis and feminism and I and I wonder, Georgia, how much was Ibsen adult Ibsen's adult house how much influence it had on the feminist movement, you know, and, 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 you know, the feminist movement might've started out with, you know, the best intentions. I mean, you could debate that, but what it's mutated into now is ridiculous, you know, and you're finding a lot of women following this same radical feminism and stuff. They're dying alone or, or they're not dying or they're, or they're not forming substantial, secure relationships with men. You know, that's what I mean by that. Um, and it's to society's detriment and to the individual's detriment. And I know I spoke a lot, Georgia, and I'm going to let you have the fast, the last words. Go ahead. Well, I had to take a look at, uh, you know, the two movies first before I really decided which one I was going to watch. And I had a hard, I have to admit, it has nothing to do with politics, but I just had a hard time envisioning Jane Fonda, a Victorian woman. Yes. And so, and then I read also that she had a very difficult time with the director. Mm -hmm. They were clashing at odds with each other. And so I looked at the cast and I decided to go with the British version. And I'm glad I did. But, you know, we're used to seeing Anthony Hopkins playing such incredibly strong roles. And this surprised me. And maybe it was the way it was. He's way that Ibsen had really did. I totally stole the final themes from Anthony Hopkins, which could not have been an easy thing to do. And I looked at him and uh, his reactions, and he played it as well as anybody could possibly have done it. I mean, he's trying his best. He's trying everything he can. He's throwing everything at her. He's throwing the morals, the yes. religion, her role as a wife and mother. He's throwing everything out there you know about what will people think about you and me and, right and what about our marriage he's trying he's pulling out all the stops and still still it does not increase her determination one bit and so you see in one at the beginning she goes from this child person to a tower of strength mm -hmm. you know she's like this little she calls her these little like animal pet names and then you know to me um you know at the end i was very struck with the um you know she, she just didn't want to be a a, a, a toy wife that i thought was defiant you know was 
um, she'd come, she'd come like a total 180 degrees. She the script, she turned the tables on them, and I just felt in some ways as I watched this, um, it's been really a, a wanted, and maybe it's the people who did a brilliant job with the sets because I feel the isolation and the imprisonment within her marriage, mm-hmm. you know, that she must have been feeling because she felt like, can I be more than this? It's just all within the confines of what he, the role he thinks that I should have. Right. You know, and so for that reason, I was like, at the end, I, I felt like he had done a, a good thing for herself. Mm-hmm. I don't know about her husband, for herself she had. But you're right, I was struggling with my sensibilities about somebody in that era and that time would have been the right thing for them to do. I, I did. And so, yeah, that, that's the last thing I really wanted to say about it. Well, guys, tell us what you think. We would love to know. We always want to know what you think. We're on Facebook at How Betty Davis Saved My Life. Please send us the comments, what you think. We we love it. Um, Check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we have some some videos up there. Uh, and just hit us hit us up. We're, don't forget we are everywhere uh, on well, pretty much all the platforms. Thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of How Betty Davis Saved My Life. We appreciate you and we look forward to uh, being with you next time. Right, Georgia? That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you have a great week. Please let us know what you think about Ibsen's A Doll's House. Take us out, Shaka. <laughs>